Okay, good to see you again. Good morning, and uh, nice to know that we don't have to have fans on today. I want to please uh, encourage you to, uh, to try to make it for the pillars uh, class. We talk about it as foundational, and sometimes uh, we can sometimes think about foundational as uh, uh, elementary in the sense of uh, beginners. Uh, what I find is that the, the thing about foundations is that you're always on the foundations. Yeah, in fact, foundational classes are the things that you're going to take to your grave and continue growing in in that. So I'm always into the foundations. If I've ever I preach something that is not foundational, then there's something wrong. Okay, so foundations are always something that are important because they are the things upon which the most strength and the most significance and most decisive things in our, our spiritual life that depend upon. And so every time we talk about the foundations, we are talking about getting huge chunks of spiritual life and power from uh, the Word. And so there's always going to be a way in which the foundations begin to grow in us. And so I really would like to invite you to um, uh, try to make it for this and even be part of a breakout group. We will start breakout groups on the second week, second, third, and fourth. Uh, but while we have these things, please avail yourself to that if you can. And uh, I promise you it will be something that you will be well worth your time and your attention. Um, I'd like to share with you something that um, is uh, from a few passages of Scripture. And the first passage I'd like to, l- to look at is Psalm 65. And I'd like to talk about the word satisfaction. Yeah, satisfaction. And so, it'd be interesting to, 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 to actually do a Bible study on the word satisfied or, or satisfies or satisfaction in the Bible because God promises satisfaction. That is an, an amazing thing that, uh, that uh, is promised, that God will satisfy us. And let, let's have a look at this. Uh, we'll read it from verse 1. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you all vows shall be performed. We were talking about vows last week. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come, and when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose, verse 4, and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied. That is huge. Satisfied by the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. To be satisfied means that every need Desire and want is met by God in a way that is satisfied. And the, and the word that's also uh, similar to that is sated. It's sated. Okay? And what God promises is that whatever need, our, our um, crisis we are experiencing, or our hunger, our desires, He will meet it. I came across this this uh, this 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 passage some a, a while ago, and the more and I, I I meditated on it, I felt the Lord was actually fixing me on that because the the idea of being satisfied by God is crazy. It's just crazy. It's just infinite. It's total. There is no limit to that. Whatever it is, I'm going through. He satisfies. Really? 
really? Is God that concerned about every little thing that I'm hungering for, thirsting for, or, or lacking, or desiring, or feeling in pain about? He will satisfy my longing, my pain, my lack, my, des- my, uh, my desire, my ambition. He will satisfy it. The fact is that it's almost like a, 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 an infinite availability of God's being present to us, to every need that we have. Every place that we're coming from, every random um, uh, uh, pension that we have is met. It may not necessarily be met the way we want it to be met, but it will be satisfied. Sometimes we want things and we get them, but we're not satisfied. Does that make sense? God knows deeper than us what we want. He wants to satisfy us. Crazy, man. That's crazy. Just think about it. What? You will satisfy me? You will satisfy me perhaps with more than I asked for? Now that's... We have to get our minds around that, right? But it's everywhere in the Bible. Turn with me to um, Psalm 63. It talks about the presence of God again. Notice that Psalm 63 and 65 are talking about the presence of God. Um, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. And there's that element of thirst, of, of, of longing. My flesh faints for you. Sometimes the occasion for God satisfying us is a place in which we are fainting. And sometimes we're fainting, what we're fainting for is the satisfaction of God. But we think that we are fainting for particular things, right? Particular um, uh, cravings that we have. Particular ways in which things will fall. My soul faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have longed upon you, long looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. And so here's the, the psalmist saying, uh, I want to see something of you. I want to see your power and your glory. I want to see your power and your glory. And sometimes I think that we are people who don't have desire that is deep enough to want that. We want our little mud pies, you know. We want our little sweets and our peppermint chews and you know, our little bottles of wine and brandy. We want our little things that will sort of satisfy us on a superficial level. But the, 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 the psalmist is talking about the fact that his desire is very great. As Cindy was talking about it in her, in her message, about when she was talking about those ancient churches that had huge windows. Huge windows because they wanted a huge God. They conceived of a huge God. Their mouths were open wide to God. You know, they were not only wanting satisfaction in the, in the most superficial sense, they were wanting deep satisfaction. Okay? So he says, Behold your power and glory, because, you, because of your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. In, my na- in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. 
None of that low-fat, non-fat rubbish. With fat, you know, and with rich food. That means there is something to taste, right? There's something about taste that God actually meets our taste, right? In such a way that it is deeper than our, our little capacities, yeah? So that's challenging. <laughs> and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. And the rest of the psalm is about how the psalmist is just pressing, pressing, pressing with a desire that's so great for God, so great for something more ultimate, something that is bigger than just bubbles, something bigger than just candies right now, that, that the psalmist is, is relentless about his, his pursuit of God. That's amazing. The question is whether God's desire to satisfy us is matched with our ability to be satisfied. Because we are often so easily satisfied by small things, right? Little niceties, little dainties that, that are in our lives. And so, I think there is something for us. Uh, one more last, uh, uh, perhaps, um, uh, supplementary passage. Um, the coming of the Holy Spirit that Joel uh, uh, prophesied about, so famously in Joel chapter 2, he talks about the fact that um, in chapter 2 of, uh, of, of Joel, there is coming in the midst of tremendous judgment that is coming upon the land and, and the need for repentance, the need for a total overhaul. There is the promise that in the midst of all that, there is, will be the Spirit that's poured out upon all flesh. In uh, Joel chapter 2, especially verse 26, I believe, um, the promise is that you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And be satisfied, be, be sated. Yeah, be sated. So there's a way in which God is, is challenging us that we will be satisfied. Yeah, and... Uh, and I believe that covers every place of dissatisfaction you and I have. Every place of dissatisfaction. Every place in which we don't actually have much faith to believe that we can be satisfied. Even when we are not in touch with what we really desire. I think um, what God wants for us is to be satisfied in a deep way, in a transforming way, in a decisive way. Now, there's a way in which... Um, I'm reminded by this, by something about sugar. Sugar. You know, sugar, from what I'm told, is addictive. It's addictive. The more you eat it, the more you want it. It can get a hold of you. And our desire for sugar is a, kind of a disease. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a dysfunctionality. Yeah. Now, I, as I shared with you before, that I have a sweet tooth. You know, I have a sweet tooth. My taste is for sugar, you know. And a lot of times, the, the taste for sugar comes at certain times, at certain times of the day, and after you've had dinner. So, the taste for sugar. I'm told that the taste for sugar dulls your taste. It dulls your taste. So you actually have to have more sugar the more and more you are um, surfeited with sugar. 
And so you can eat sugar until you become... And the word that is not used is not satisfied. Sugar will never satisfy you. What it'll do is it'll satiate you. And there's a difference between being satisfied or sated and being satiated. When you are satisfied, you are happy. When you're satiated, you are filled, but not satisfied. You just got turned off it. And for the word that um, 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 related to that, surfeited, is that you actually become nauseous for that thing. And so there are some people who actually can actually get satiated by things if there's too much of it. Make sense? You can be satiated with things. Now, there are certain things like sugar that will satiate you, but they will never satisfy you. They will never build you up. They'll never transform you. They'll never change you. They'll never make you uh, uh, stronger. They will actually, they will not make you happier, but they will satisfy something in us, right? And sugar is, to me, a sort of a, a... an, 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 an analogy, I'm looking for another word, but analogy will, will be fine for now. Sugar, sugar is an analogy, it's emblematic of a deeper problem in which we actually have deep desires and our, our native desire, our aboriginal desires are for God, for bigger things, for more significant things. But what happens is that the world gives, on the devil actually, our flesh, gives us a a reduced bill of goods that are something connected with the desire that we have for God, for God's glory, and makes us eat that stuff. Like, for example, we want to see God's glory be seen because there's there's a way in which We want to see His power and His glory in the sanctuary. But there's something about the the sugariness of our desires that contracts back, reduces back to wanting to experience our own glory, our own significance. The desire for significance begins to be contracted by the sugar of our desire for something like it. So because of that, we develop all kinds of goals and and, and aims in life and desires in life that are contracted desires. They're actually cravings, but they are cravings for things that, that are actually poisonous. And that's what happens when we have uh, uh, a desire that is, that's been turned into satiation, in which that, which that which we actually go for only satiates us. It makes us full, but full of poison. It's almost as if God is saying, I have bigger than your desire. Your failure is a failure of desire. You don't have enough desire. You only have cravings. You only have, you go after the superficial, symptomatic, uh, worldly presented, world presented, fleshly presented, devil presented availability 
and you go and spend all your money for this. And that's why Isaiah chapter 55 says, why do you spend your money for that which is not food? And that, is not, that which is not drink. Come. And he calls us to pay the price for something that is going to satisfy us. Amen? There's a way in which God is, God is wanting to do that. And what happens is that as a result of our being diverted from the real hunger that we have, the real desire we have for the good of God, yeah? The good of God that has to do with love, His love. What we really want is a love that is satisfying more than the, the satisfi- satisfaction that comes from the other, uh, other person, yeah? What we want is love and glory and wholeness. And what God says that in Him, we can be filled with the fullness of God. Ephesians, right? Chapter 1. But our desire gets turned and so we want some kind of significance and we, get, we at best get significance rather than glory. Does that make sense? So we become territorial. Even in ministry, we become territorial. This is my, my thing. This is my thing. I have, no, I have never heard the phrase used so much as I've heard in, in our church or, or in America. This is my thing. This is my thing. No, it's not your thing. And you're not reduced to one thing either. And there's a thing called nichism, right? Nichism. I'm not talking about Nietzsche. I'm talking about niche, a niche. Now, here's the thing. We are so concerned that people have a good sense of self-esteem that we say, whatever your gift is, whatever your gift is, that is your thing. And we are prepared to get, have my thing or our thing rather than the thing that God has for us, which is much bigger, bigger windows, so that we will make ourselves and other people feel good about themselves. And so, that, so we can't tolerate talking about higher gifts. But Paul says, desire the higher gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Yeah? And so what happens is this, we go for something that is a contraction, as a reduction of that which is of to be satisfying. And as a result of that, we come into this psycho thing of having this equilibrium so that our sense of self-esteem will somehow match with reality and reality will match with somehow a certain kind of Christianity that makes us feel that through Christ, we will feel good about ourselves. And so don't ask for too much. Be happy that your stamp collecting gift is just as good as any other gift. You, Paul, same thing. You stamp collector, Paul, apostle, same thing. Because we are so afraid to measure and to be able to, to calibrate and to go for God's more, 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 more excellent gifts. I want to, uh, to, 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 to posit before you that actually what has happened is that we have actually not got satisfaction. We've got satiation. And that can happen in the church too, where ministry becomes the very domain of conflict, of, uh, of ambition, because of the fact that we're going after peanuts. I want a bigger peanut than you. You got a small peanut. Mine is even smaller than your peanut. I want the head, head honcho peanut. I want the big peanut. 
And so because of that, we become fixed on things. We fix on things, we, 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 we actually get that territorial. Um, we, 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 we develop an expertise in a certain thing and we, and we form an identity from that expertise and we expect people to recognize that. We, we want to, be, to, 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 to fix upon a niche and grow that niche because we are so afraid that if that niche is taken away from us, we will be nothing. And actually, God has a lot more. And the key to actually having the more is to let go of your niche. To let go of your identity that has contracted upon something small. We want to be needed. We want to be sought after. We want to be loved. So because of that, instead of glory, we get fame. Because of, instead of glory, we want to be big. In whose eyes? I don't know. The world's eyes, I guess. In order to be, to have the glory and acceptance of God, we want to be culturally accepted. And you stand for nothing. I want to put it to you that actually what God has for us is very big. But because it's so big, the satisfaction is big, big, you have to let go of your small dreams. You have to not allow these contractions, these particular symptomatic things that are, I would say, asymptotic, okay, that, that they are, look like it, look like God, something like that, but not God at all. It's actually the biggest enemy of God. So much so that the good is the enemy of the best. So when God says He satisfies us, He's talking about something bigger than our own satiation. The thing that the, 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 the jollies that we get when we are praised or we are affirmed or somebody really thinks highly of us or somebody, somebody really pats us on the back. The, those jollies, they're not wrong. But the point is that when you fix upon them, you are in serious problems. Because those things become toxic because they do things to you. And if you go after those things, you're actually going to become a very, very small person in God. So I want to just... just uh, Let's just try to establish that. The thing about it is this. What God has for us is really not about the feeling of, of satisfaction. What God wants to do is to increase us. Does that make sense? He wants us to, to be filled. He wants us to be filled. Now, it's possible for me to take this cover and it's still part of the tumbler that I have and fill it with water, correct? And the cap will be filled. But it's not filled in the same way that this is filled. Does that make sense? Today's message is about how, we're asking God, we can be filled this, like the tumbler, so we have greater capacity for more, more love, more power, more of Him in our life. Rather than this thing that we are, we are so easily filled with, and that's not satisfying, it's not enough. If you're thirsty, this is not going to fill. You may feel filled, but the person that you're ministering to will not. We have to understand that. 
There's no getting to getting, there's no two ways of getting it, there's no getting around it. You cannot take this and fill it and give it to someone and says, Well, that was satisfying. It's not. The whole idea of being satisfied and being effective and being filled with what God has is very tied together, don't you think? In the end, whatever your desires or how your feelings, it's more important that you get filled with God. Amen? Being satiated has to do with being filled like capful. Now, here's the thing. The thing that has developed over the past 20th century and 21st century has to do with the fact that we look at things from the point of view of how they grab us, how they, they hit us psychologically or perceptually. So what has happened is that um, many sociologists and philosophers talk about the fact that there's a loss of objectivity where the outside reality is what stands and what has become the, the reality, what, what we sometimes call my reality, has to do with how it actually fit, hits me and makes me feel when that reality impinges upon me. Does that make sense? So we are actually wanting to be satisfied, so it's satisfied here, rather than in any way that's related to the reality of what is objective of, of the thing of God. So we, it's almost as if we look at everything in the world through the lens of how we are feeling. How was the painting? I don't know, I'll look here. Was it good? Good. Because I feel good about it. Was this person a good person? Good. Because he makes me feel good. Talks to me nice. Okay, so what has happened is that when we talk about my reality, we can sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes have a view in which what is important is how it hits me. We call this solipsism. Okay, we call this solipsism. Solipsism is, has to do with the fact that, there's a, that, that all of reality is interpreted through this lens of me talking to myself and how me feels. Okay? Jesus is not coming today because I don't think he, I don't feel like he should. Someone said, during, during the election when Nixon became president, I'm sure Nixon is not going to be president because all my friends say he's not going to be. I don't think so. Fortunately or unfortunately, he became president. I have no... <laughs> Nothing to say about that one. It's almost as if the telescope has been turned around and we look at it from the opposite point of view. Yeah? And that is how the, the infinite power and the, and, the, and, the, and the resonance of God doesn't get into us. We take capfuls only because the cap feels full. The cap feels full. And so, I, I just feel that there's a way in which God wants to free us up from the things that are poisonous, that have to do with this bill of goods that has been reduced. 
And that is why it's amazing that in, in, the, in the church, we all want a chance to lead. And a chance to lead is considered a very valuable thing, an empowering thing, and it actually is, okay? So don't, don't get me wrong. But the, when we have nothing much going on, the opportunity to do stuff becomes the big thing, whereas actually what God wants to do is to pour into us more stuff. Or else we just do little bits and we just keep on parading our little bits here. We just keep showing our capful and that capful never gets bigger. And there are times in which God says, I want to give you a sabbatical, I want, you to, I want to give you a rest because I need to pour into you because there is something about the structure that's containing it that it just doesn't grow. I have more for you. To be blown away by that revelation of what God has for us compared with what we think is so good, and maybe it is good, is one of the most transforming things that can happen. After I planted six, no, no, not six, uh, uh, three churches in, uh, in Malaysia, I thought I was pretty, pretty good. Then I came back to headquarters, and then I saw what was going on at headquarters, right, in my church planting uh, movement. And I saw the level in which people were functioning. It was... And I thought, I feel very embarrassed. They were so humble to ask me to share about what God was doing. And then I saw what I was doing is like, like a capful. Now, I understand that we feel that it will be psychologically damaging if we bring these realities up. But I want to put it to you, it's only in the context of the fact that God has more. And if you're not experiencing it, some questions need to be asked of God. Not ourselves, but of God. What is preventing me from experiencing what you have for me? Yeah? What is preventing me from experiencing what you have for me? And so, I remember, remember that experience and I, and I said to uh, my partner's ministry, I think I need to go and woodshed. You know what's woodshedding? Yeah? Musicians know, right? Woodshedding. You know, you have this musician who's like really good. He thinks like he's so powerful. And then he sees somebody else so much greater and he says, I don't think I want to play. And so I'm going to woodshed for a while. I'm just going to the woodshed and just practice and practice and practice before I come, I, I come out again. That is healthy. It's not damning. It's healthy. Does that make sense? And, and what God does is that he every seven years gives us a sabbatical. Every seven in in, 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 in in time counts of seven, he gives us a sabbatical so that we can actually come to a place in which we, we, we are able to look with a beady eye upon all that we've seen and we've done and we say, Lord, surely you have something more for me. Surely your love is bigger than that. And I'm not going to confuse myself or, 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 or excuse myself by saying, no, God loves in every, uh, every way. No, 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 no. God, you have more for me than that. Amen. And so I feel that um, um, God wants us to be closer to Him. He has more for us. And He wants to fill this. In the end, okay, how you feel about how filled you are doesn't really count. It's whether you're filled or not. Because if you're objectively filled, you'll minister to somebody when you don't feel like it and the power of God will flow. 
most of the time when I minister and God does wonderful things, it's when I don't feel it. So that my subjective sense is, is not trusted that much. Now what God will do is that when He allows us to come to the cross and He transforms us, there will come a time in which our subjectivity will be more reliable. And how we feel is a good picture of what's really happening. So that the soul becomes like an instrument, like St. Augustine said, like a sword in the hand of a, of a ready fighter who's able to, to move as the fighter uh, uh, moves the sword. But not yet. Not yet. For most of us, we need to allow the Lord to sanctify our sword, sanctify our soul, our emotions, our mind. Or else what happens is that we, when we go by it, we are just a nightmare. We'll be coming with, up with imp- impressions that are just dangerous. Does that make sense? But slowly, as we live under, under the, the counsel and the cross, the counsel of the Word of God and the counsel of others, there's, there comes a time in which we begin to be disciplined into the things of God. Does that make sense? It's not a free-for-all romantic kind of, and what I mean by that is romanticism, but free-for-all, un, untrammeled kind of growth because of opportunity. Okay, so here's, here's my thought. God is actually one to taking us from the Cliff Notes version of, of the Brothers Karamazov to the actual Brothers Karamazov. God's wanting to take us from the sign over the toilet that shows a man or a woman to the actual toilet. You can actually go in there and relieve yourself. He wants to give, take us from eating the menu to actually eating the food. Now, the menu can give you some satisfaction. If I, if I know that I'm really hungry and I, I'm driving around, I can't find a restaurant, and I find that it's on the internet, there's, there's some kind of restaurant that, shows, um, that serves really, really, really good Korean food. I think, yes, I, I do feel good. Most people have I mean, bought, sold a reduced bill of goods in which they're eating menus. They're eating cardboard, two-dimensional things of the real thing. We, let's not kid ourselves anymore, okay? Because we don't have that much time. We need to get into the real stuff so that God can no longer be given an excuse. I just spoke to somebody who says, I'm fed up of Christians saying, this is a miracle or this is that, 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 is, that is a great thing. When actually, it's not really that great. You mean Jesus rose from the dead for this? Yes, for this, but more also. He's in the little and in the big as well. But if you've only got little things to talk about only, only, and you say that is the big thing, I have a problem with you. Amen? So what has happened is that we've begun to negotiate knowledge and the things of the world through Google. We have a Googleized base of knowledge. We don't actually read actual source material. We just read the Google version of it. Now, what most people or a lot of people do with with Google is that they want to know just a little bit about something so they can talk about it. 
right, or answer a question. So they go straight to Google, and Google can be very pointed, very, uh, very purposeful, according to your purpose. So what happens is that you get to know things according to what you are, the question that you are asking, rather than for the thing in itself. So what you want to know is, who's the Grand Inquisitor? And why is the Grand Inquisitor really important in, uh, in Brothers Karamazov? You don't really want to know about Brothers Kar- Kar- Karamazov. You don't even want to, they're not interested in Dostoevsky. You don't know why Dostoevsky is the greatest novel, novelist in the 19th century, 19th, 20th century. You don't even want to know. Okay? That's, that's okay, that's fine. And that's, that's legitimate. There are many times we Google, right? Because we need a certain specific um, question answered with respect to a particular situation we are facing. That's good. But when your whole education becomes one of Googleized uh, um, um, knowledge, the knowledge becomes lacking in depth, lacking in reality. Does that make sense? And as a result of that, we only have cardboard pictures of this. I've, I'm so... I, at first, when I first came to America, I was so impressed by, by, by the breadth of, of, uh, of, of my, my friend's knowledge. Then I realized, oh, they only read the Cliff Notes version. So you actually don't know about this. Somebody was talking about fideism and all that, and about fideism in the, in the Catholic Church. Then the more and more he talked, I realized, oh, he doesn't actually know what he's talking about. So you don't know what you're talking about. You don't actually know about what you're talking about. You're talking about that which comports with your own perspective. Fideism. Ah, okay, fideism. Oh, that's why the Catholic Church is not good. What nonsense is that? So here's, here, here, so what this happens is that we filter what we hear according to how we feel about the experience of hearing what we are hearing. So that as a result of that, we get offended by whistleblowers, for example. We got offended by people who bring news that is perhaps larger, broader, than what would make us feel good about. We live within a certain managed and organized sphere of conversation in which conversation has to go a certain way for the, for the interests of the organization or for the interests of whatever it is whether it's even a Christian organization or so that this communication will get a certain thing done. And as a result of that, the, the level of, um, of knowing, of substance in our conversation begins less and less. When reality has no depths, the abyss seems quite shallow. We don't feel it. We don't feel it. We get very accustomed to and satiated by sin. It seems quite shallow and we can't apprehend the gravity of deeds and we cannot be moved by the truth because the speaking makes us blink. I know it's in me as well. When people give me bad news or give me 
bad information, uh, information that's, that's not good news. I find myself blinking. It's almost as if my, my eyelids want to just push it off. Because the very content of that, it, disp- it intrudes into my space and makes it hard for me. So you will find that there are certain people you just don't like to be around. Not because they're t- not telling the truth, but because of the fact that we have become so psychologized and so subjectivized in the way in which we receive information that um, we'd, we'd rather keep the peace with God. But at the back of it all, that God has, what God has for us is far greater, far more rich, far more what we want than we even know. And so the horizon, the frontier of our largeness in God, our experience of God, will depend upon how we negotiate those blinking spaces, those places where we encounter God not necessarily answering our prayers the way we wanted Him to do it, but Him taking us His way to satisfy us completely. Does that make sense? How many of you have dated a girl or a, or a boy and you really wanted to marry that person and you pleaded with God that you will marry that person and thank God you did not. Thank God you did not. Remember the time when you were seven, eight years old and you wanted to go on a, go out a date? My, my, my daughter says, oh, this guy is going, she's in, in elementary school. They're going, on a, they're going out with her. He's going out with her. Where is he going? To the bottom of the garden in your tricycle? Going out with her. He wants to marry her. We do not even know what we want. Does that make sense? God promises us that He will protect us from what we want if it's not a good thing and give us what will satisfy us. And we may not be satisfied immediately, but we will be satisfied in the end right now because things will transpire and you'll find that all the things you, wa- you wanted, you didn't get. Praise God. Now, there are going to be some things in which you ask for and then you realize you got it and you didn't really want it. But God gave it to you anyway because what you asked for is in line with what He has for you, which is bigger. Go bigger. So you enter into His presence so that you will be satisfied. Amen? Not satiated, satisfied. We are in a situation in which the horizon of your depth, my depth, is overcome only by the Spirit working in our will. Because, you see, what's going to fill this is not how you feel about it, how edified you are, you feel, or how emotionally um, 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 lifted up you feel. It's by filling this, this thing up. Does that make sense? Whether you like it or not, you just fill it up right now. Because this is what you're going to, 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 to minister out or you're going to live out of. Does that make sense? So that Peter and John says on the, at, the, at, the, at the beautiful gate, Silver and I go and, and gold have I not, but whatsoever I have, I give to you. You may feel very filled with this, with a fill cap, but you don't have a whatsoever I have. 
you may feel very unfilled with this, with, with this. But God will work through you. So by the fruit, we will know <laughs> ourselves. Amen? Praise you, Jesus. And so because of that, I want to put it to you that in a few moments as we pray, we actually become people of substance rather than of form. People of the matter. There are some people I know that I've had an experience with who are not rich at all, very poor. And I rem remember one time needing a, s uh, a certain amount of resources. I think it was money that I didn't have. And I could share with them quite fr freely because I knew they were people of God, right? They were of God. Not just people who just you know, say, I'm praying for you, or, you know, and then not do it. But there are people who are, who are people of God. They had no desire for money. They had all that they need, but they, they, they had no desire for money. And I remember sharing with them this thing that I was believing God for, uh, because my church was about to, we were going to plant a church, and we needed $6,000 to put a de de deposit and the first month's rent for this particular shop house yeah? in, in Malaysia. And most of the churches are in shop lots. So we just take the, the, the second story. And I needed it in two days. And I could talk to them about it because I knew they, there's not even a chance that they have any, anywhere near the amount of that money to go. And I remember talking to them, and I, and I know why I went to them, because I knew that if they said anything encouraging, I could take it to the bank. So they said, we see your challenge. We see you put a deposit on the deposit which the church could hardly afford, and you're in a bind. We will pray for you. It's going to be okay. Somehow, because they said it's going to be okay, it came out of this much of weight. Not this much of weight. Other people could have said the same thing and it would have this amount of weight. But for them, they said, had that. There are going to be, there's going to come a time, and it's almost here already, where the people that you have next to you are going to have people who have weight. They'll have to have weight. They'll have to have substance. There will be situations where you're casting out a demon and you're going to have to choose. You will make a choice who you want next to you. If I'm casting out a demon, I'd like my wife to be with me because I know her. We've cast out demons before. I know the weight. Does that make sense? I know the matter of things for her. I know the matter. She has a person of matter. Not just manner. 
there are going to be times in which you are going to be in a very tricky situation and you will choose who you want next to you. And you may not choose the most encouraging in words or the most affirming in words, but you will choose somebody that you know and have experienced has substance, who can go and face the impossible and not, and not, and not, and not shift. They will step in and you know that you could just leave it to that person and that person will somehow make a miracle happen by the grace of God. Does that make sense? There's coming a time in which it is not going to be enough for us to be very affirming people in the church. It's good. Be affirming. Because the worst thing is to, to be a person who's just completely a, a, a sourpuss. But that's not enough. To be full of a cap, a cap full, full of things, whatever you're thinking, whatever it is, my thinking and all that, it's in the end, what will deliver the goods? And praise God, we are seeing impossible situations move and mountains move. We are experiencing it. I can think of many people who would be very, very encouraging to me. And I can tell the difference between an encouragement that is empty, capful, and an encouragement that has weight. Amen? And you will want that too. Amen? As the days get more and more difficult and our wheezing culture becomes on its last legs and finds that actually there is no objective reality, no cornerstone there, but everything's all made up in terms of how I I self-identify in terms of my perception of things outside there and how it hits me and how it becomes subjectivized me and becomes relativized and all that, I will need to have something that is substance, not just how I feel about it. Because how I feel may be very, very impactful, but that is not the substance of things. Amen? Now, the thing is this, as, a, as, we, as we move forward in the church, God has called us into serious business. We can't play games anymore because we are facing impossible situations. When I think about the kind of costs that, <laughs> that my children are, are, are having to pay going into school, we need some serious God things going on. You know what I'm saying? I'm encouraged by encouragement, but I need something really serious. And there are some people who will say something and they will just say it over the phone or just during daily prayer and I can catch it and impart substance to me. You can be one of them and I can be one of them. Amen? And that's why when we receive the word, we want to be not people who make the word fit into a very small space, a little pocket handkerchief. If you always go by our feelings in relation to God rather than God himself, when we think our small capacity is enough, when we, we start making short meetings, little effort, little sacrifice, little stretch, little heart, little things, because we've already proscribed 
the space that we're going to give to God, then you cannot be satisfied. You will be under control. You will control your own life, but you cannot be satisfied. Because the only way is not to think of God in relation to yourself, but to think of God in relation to God, and think of you in relation to God. So much so that when we pray, we don't pray to God about things that, we are, that are our realities. We follow God. What's God. What are you saying? What are you doing? Does that make sense? When our, cha- our, our prayer changes from ourselves praying about the things that we are telling God about to, God, what are you saying? You give me the prayer. Then what happens is change our point of view, right? You change your point of view from ourselves and, go- and everything of God in relation to ourselves to God, to everything else in relation to God. You stand on His point of view and say, God, what are you doing? That's what I have to do when I'm preparing a sermon. I have to allow, my, remind myself to not think about me doing the sermon. I have to say, okay, Lord, where are you going? I, follow you, I just follow you. And sometimes that means that by Saturday night, I still don't know where, where he's going because I may have my sermon all neatly written up. But only God knows And so if I'm committed to speaking the Word of God from the pulpit, I have to be committed to not saying something that I imagine will be relatable to everybody, but I have to imagine God in front of me and not be able to write anything down in my my, my notes until something comes from the other side. Does that make sense? Because I can't create a sermon. I can't do that. Or else it'll just be a solipsism. And so what happens is this. Even preaching has to be not contracted down to something that is just relatable. When it comes to worship, uh, Sydney and I were, and this will be my final point, I believe. Uh, we were at a conference. And the conference had a certain amount of worship during that time. And it was less led by, I believe, a priest. I, I'm not sure whether he was Presbyterian or, or um, Orthodox. I'm not sure. But it was completely silent. Said a few words, and the whole conference got quiet but you could feel the substance in that quietness. A few words were spoken, a few lines of a hymn, and then we just stood stood in the presence of God. Every day, we did that. Every day, the presence of God was still. He was not trying to lead us in worship. He was not trying to make a noise. But the noise and the sound of God was full in us. And I feel that when we are satisfied by God, we'll turn away from any need for that good thing to be broadcast on Facebook or Instagram and all that. Somebody was saying, his son had gone to this 
this great place where there's a, a big rock um, several feet above the water. And he wanted to jump off the rock. And he wanted his dad to take a picture of him jumping off the rock. Yeah? And so his dad asked him one question. I'll do it as long as you don't put it on Facebook or Instagram. And the son lost interest. We are living in a situation in which we only get our sense of ourselves mirrored from outside. And so his father said, I can't do it. I won't do it. And the son completely lost interest because of that. I believe that God will cause you and I to be interested in things and glory in things that nobody will even know about. Because it means so much to you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't need people knowing about it. They doesn't need the, the support and affirmation of other people saying, yeah, that's great. Oh, wow, wow. What's the word? Um, awesome, yeah. No, no, no need for that. I've, um, Cindy always told me the story about how some of the large cathedrals in Europe were constructed. And uh, someone said, do you notice that when you really go into this cathedral, you see the beams, huge beams, are hiding behind those beams very intricately carved birds. Beautifully and intricately carved birds. But nobody can see them because they are only meant for God to see. Isn't that amazing? You can live that private life. You can live that life just now if you get rid of the toxins, poisons out of that. And last part of that, po of that point. <laughs> when Jesus says, you will eat of my word, eat of me, he means, in part, that when we read the word of God, when we receive a word of God, that word of God is not just meant to be words that inform our perspective of things, but it's meant to be converted into substance. Because the word of God is not like any other word. The word of God, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So when Jesus speaks about being the word, and, and John speaks about Jesus being the word, and he talks about the fact that you have to eat my word, my, my flesh, and drink my blood. What he's saying is this, when we receive a word from God, and those of us who are, have, been, have been listening to God and, and having God speak to us, it doesn't end by getting a word from God. I've heard lots of people share a word that they got from God. But there is a way in which God wants us to eat it and be satisfied. You shall eat it, the grain, and be satisfied. What does it mean to be satisfied? Not stay at just words that you can kind of repeat to other people. You receive the word, you share it. There's no insight, there's no substance, there's no revelation. It's just, you're just repeating that word. But when you ask God questions, and those of you who are, who are, who are interested, question three has to do with the fact that in that word, that is released because God is speaking, the grace 
of that thing that he's speaking about. The word davar in, in, in Hebrew for the word means the word that has with it the grace of God to make itself come to pass in time. The word davar has to do with not just words or propositions of truth, but it has to do with the fact that when Jesus says something, in encapsulated in that word that comes as a word in time to us, it captures within itself the very substance, the actual reality of what it's talking about, so that what it's the sign and the actual substance that the sign is actually pointing to becomes one. Not like other words, when I say a word and I say door, I'm pointing to the door, my finger is not the door. Correct? But when God speaks, when He speaks, the very thing that He speaks is the thing. Isn't that amazing? So you cannot read the Bible just like reading the Bible and just reading off the surface. You have to actually say, God, what is it that you are releasing? And we wait upon it. We wait upon it until something begins to touch our spirit and, 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 and embed itself upon us. Something that we never saw before. Something that is fresh. And when it happens, it opens it up and so much so that we know exactly what it is that God wants us to do. Different from all the knowledge that we have based on principles about what should be done regarding this particular thing. What is the way, best way to apply it? No, 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 no. That's good, but... But that's not what we mean by question three. What we're talking about is the fact that when God gives you a word, He means you and I to actually be satisfied by it, to be sated by it. So when I, when I, when I, when I wait on this question, God, what is now released to me from this text that you have for me? I can't answer that question just like that. I have to wait on it. I have to wait on it. The word is meditate, and the word for meditate is also masticate. Chew it. Chew it. Just like the cow chews. It has two stomachs. Chews and chews and chews and you're going to hold it. Until I have it in me. Amen? And so, when, when Jesus speaks about eating and drinking the flesh and the blood of him, himself through the word, we're talking about the fact that when God gives us the word, he wants us to be satisfied by it. I received the word. I'll give you an example. I'll give you I received the word. And it, part of it was, the righteous will not be moved. Okay, the righteous will be moved. When I received that word, it was good. Yes, amen. I'm feeling very shaken, but <laughs> you are saying that I will not be moved. Is that enough? No, it's not enough. I have to eat that word until I'm not moved. And I know when I'm not moved. Does that make sense? When Jesus said, eat the, the flesh and, the blood and, blood of the, and drink the blood of the, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not saying, I give you this word as a proposition, just go think about it. No, he's saying, I want you to meditate upon it, pray it through, pray into it until the resistance in you breaks until it begins, comes into you, until you feel it like a rock in you. And that its reality is stronger than any other reality. If not, you can receive words a hundred times a day, and you still won't be transformed. 
That's why some people, they, can't have much, they don't have much tolerance for God or the Word. They're satiated. Because what they're looking for is something else. But God says, whatever you're looking for, I have for you. Amen? You let me take over. You wait upon me. Let's pray. Let us pray. Bless your name, Lord. Lord, we open ourselves before you. We thank you that you are here in your word, present to every one of us in all our different circumstances and situations. We ask you that you shine your light on us because we are serious with you. We do not want to play social games in church. We don't just want to feel better. We want to be filled and be satisfied. And so we ask you that you would reveal and remove things that satiate us, the sugary things, the secondary things that are a pale and distorted shadow of the longings that you have put in our heart. The ways in which we want self-glory instead of your glory, fame instead of your glory, recognition instead of doing something that you are significantly doing this world. Come and fill our empty places right now. Come, O oh Lord, you have for every need that you have satisfaction. Even every crisis, even every crunch time. I wonder whether you can just open your heart before the Lord. And make a commitment that will involve your will as well. Not just a desire to give space to God. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And the, one of the things that will happen is that God will come in and He will overturn our little need sense of how much time we have for God. He knows how much time you have. So He will take control of it. He knows how much you can tolerate and He'll take control of it. Let's surrender our lives. What we need is not medication or more dopamine we need to be transformed from mules into horses. Today can be a day that will change our lives completely. No more coming Sunday after Sunday to church and find that nothing changes much. If that has been your experience. 
none of that anymore. It's a waste of time. Either God is God or He's not. It cannot be this domesticated, pocket-sized, shortened, smallest, smaller reduction of all His wildness. Let Him have His way. Jesus, we acknowledge right now that we stand at the frontier of God once again. The whole frontier in front of us is amazing. And we don't even know sometimes the question to ask for the answer you have for us. So we ask right now, give us the question. Help our will to understand right now what it doesn't understand. Open us up. Remove cataracts that... Make us not understand that what you're most interested in is that little bird that nobody else can see. You are most interested in that part in us that only you and we know about. So remove our cataracts that we can't see that so that you can transform that part. We give it to you. We give you the little bird that no one else can see in our lives right now. And say, Lord, teach us to fly with you. Mm -hmm. Even if we're unseen, we say yes. We love to be unseen because we get to hear the deep mysteries of the frontier with you. So please work that in each one of us. And unwork, in Jesus' name, the work of our culture on us right now. In Jesus' name we ask. You remove the cataracts, you remove the lies, you remove the short bill of sales, you remove all of the robbery, and you restore the years that the locust has eaten in Jesus' name. Amen. So we commit ourselves into your hands. We know what we are supposed to do. We ask you that you lead us and increase our capacity, widen our mouths, that you may fill it. Commit ourselves to you, in Jesus' name. Amen.